Welcome to the Strategics Podcast, where we ask the paradigm-shifting question, is it the end of the world as we know it? And today, we're talking about Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. Is this the beginning of the end for Facebook, or are they too big to fail? So with me today, I've got Joe Couteau and Jeff Rowan. Jeff is in uh, sunny Florida and, and joined us by phone. Gentlemen. Hello. Pleasure to be here. Let's start. Literally, it's a pleasure to be here in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we, it's warm. Okay. <laughs> it's actually the first day of spring, but hey, we're, it doesn't feel like spring in Toronto. So. <laughs> uh, so if you've been following the news, you've heard about Cambridge Analytica, a firm that probably had no profile outside of political circles until very recently. And of course, of the use of data that they garnered from Facebook, using a third party to assist them in gathering the data. There's been lots of discussion about whether or not this was a quote unquote breach, and I'm doing air quotes, or whether it was a misuse of data. And I don't think people really care whether it's a breach versus a misuse of data. People were just spooked by the fact that they were able to collect so much personal information which identified them, identified where they lived. And we now know that uh, Cambridge was able to collect at least 50 million data points, actually on 50 million individuals. So that's a lot of data to be able to collect. And the belief is, is that they use that data to try and influence the votes, not only in the United States, but also with the Brexit referendum as well. So where do we stand here? What's going on? Is this the beginning of the end? Or Facebook. Joe, why don't you start us off? Well, in, in a word, no. I, I do think Facebook is so big and so global that uh, it, it it's already changing. It's already changing. It's It's been through these types of um, questioning periods before. Um, and it, they've always responded, of course, uh, to those types of uh, charges that they are not perhaps as committed to privacy as they should be, as at least the public uh, expects. But I, I, you know, I think the real issue here it's it's not so much that Facebook did or did not do something horrible and terrible. I don't think it was criminal, um, but again, prove me wrong. Um, I think the bigger question here is why are we allowing companies like this to have access to our our data? And uh, and so these things do happen. And I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves individually because we're all very happy to share our data when it suits us, when we get something back from Facebook or whatever other social media platform are out there. It's only when it, it's misused in our, in our eyes uh, do we... Uh, do we protest? And obviously, there's a political angle to this, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but that's another thing. I'm really focused really on the consumer aspect of this and marketing, which obviously Jeff is a bit of an expert in, and I can't wait to hear what he's got to say. Yeah, I don't, I don't care. I'm not too worried about Facebook. Uh, Facebook has faced these things before, and it has always responded poorly and insufficiently. Uh, but you know, you've, you've kind of hit the crux of the of the matter, Joe, which is that we have always, you know, before there were computers, we have always um, traded off privacy uh, for convenience by giving up some of our personal information. Uh, so, you know, for me, you know, Facebook uh, knows when I get wished happy birthday and knows uh, 
when I send a, a funny meme to my sister, and if they want to farm that kind of information, uh, God bless them, they can. I've made the choice that I don't have anything, any privacy issues so great that, uh, you know, I don't, that I wouldn't trade it for the convenience of having this international global platform where I can stay in touch with family and friends, and that's convenient for me and, and generally harmless. Uh, you know, there's been, I guess, a part of the hysteria around uh, the Cambridge Analytic breach is, uh, first of all, relates to technology. Just people are, people don't understand technology, and probably a lot of people didn't know the extent to which uh, their communications are monitored and tracked and collected and collated and analyzed. Uh, and then there is also the you know the nefarious aspect. Uh, the uh, UK's Channel Four news team with the hidden interview with the CEO talking about. Uh, sending in Ukrainian hookers to uh, to uh, undermine candidates, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's and that's a whole different category in my book. That's the category of political dirty tricks, which have always existed, uh, which are horrible and wrong and, and odious, but exist in every form from you know the hooker scenario to gerrymandering and the party in power uh, realigning districts so that uh, challenging parties can't put together. Uh, voting blocks. So, you know, that, that has to be addressed. Uh, political dirty, dirty tricks have to be addressed in a different form than uh, big data and big data analysis. And so I'm kind of rambling here, so I'll stop and maybe you can get me back on track if, or, or re- realign us. Well, Jeff, I just want to pick up on, on the point that you made that, you know, people are, and, and Joe, you made it as well, that people are willing to trade privacy for convenience. And yes, you know, maybe they might know when it's your birthday and they might know, you know, your conversations and they can look into that. But I think we have to wonder, is it appropriate for them to then start using that behavioral information to kind of target you, to persuade you to act in a certain way? And maybe it's different for uh, for products and for marketing and for goods and services, but we're talking about our democracy here. Now we're trying to persuade people to vote in a certain way. And, 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 you know, granted, I understand that we've done that before. We've always tried to convince people to vote in a particular way. But we haven't said, okay, well, I know that uh, you're in favor of this uh, proposition. So therefore, I'm going to flood you with these kinds of ads. To the, to but how the is that different? That than, how's that different than polling that's going on uh, forever? I mean, the goal of marketing, the, the goal of any influence marketing, whether it's influencing you to buy a cracker or influencing you to buy a political candidate, is to connect one-on-one between the the brand you're selling and the uh, the target that you're selling to. So you've got, you know, it goes. You look at the uh, the Ford family and uh, Doug Ford. Uh, uh, and uh, and his late brother, uh, they have kept meticulous records of every contact that they've ever had with one of their constituencies, every favor they've done, uh, every phone call that's expressed a concern, and they have this magnificent database that that really is a, a, a key asset to theirs. And that's for the most part been a pretty manual process. So somebody's figured out a way to kind of automate the uh, the process by finding deep sources of data, but advertising companies have always collected uh, demographic and psychographic 
information on what's going to motivate people. Uh, it's not just the next logical step of really using raw computing power and interconnectedness to target one-on-one. You know, for you, you think it's important that there be no street parking in your neighborhood and gun control and, you know, these four other issues are your top five issues. Uh, so why not target a message specifically to what you care about? Well, and, and Jeff, I think you've kind of uh, identified the where it's kind of tipped over, where our concerns have started to be heard a bit more. It's it's not that people are doing this, because as you pointed out, they have always done this. It's the technology now. The technology, the computing power, as you called it, is so advanced that uh, they can... Uh, target you so specifically it's it's as if they know you better than you know yourself and that scares a lot of people because i think the natural evolution of the technologies of today are artificial intelligence so if we're looking down the road and you know we'll probably not live to see that this type of ai but i can see a time when artificial uh, intelligence is so refined that it will essentially lead you around by your nose because it knows you so much better. It knows your feelings, your desires, the things you want to see, the things you don't want to see. And, you know, and people get really scared because we've all grown up on the movies, you know, <laughs> where yeah. robots come and take over, take over and stuff, right? So I think, <laughs> I think there's a lot of fear, right? The tool, I mean, a lot of fear of the unknown. Yeah, and I, and, and I think the part of the case here is that people, not only do they feel overtly manipulated, and, you know, we've, okay, well, we can, we can, uh, we can state that, yes, there is manipulation in the political process since time immemorial, but now that it's just so targeted, and as you said, Joe, it's the technology is so sophisticated that, that it takes people aback a little bit. And I think the other part of this is also the fact that, uh, you know, that information was gathered in, in most part without permission of yep. the users. Yep. And that has really opened up a, uh, a vulnerability for, all, I guess, all tech companies that collect data. Yeah, and I wonder about you know implied consent, right? You you hear this term a lot. I'm I'm not nearly familiar enough with marketing to know that, but in the political sense, like the Fords here in Ontario, um, their database, there's a certain implied consent. I know this because um, my wife um, kept getting these phone calls when the late mayor of Toronto. Uh, was uh, campaigning and, and whatnot, and I'm sure she's start, starting to get calls uh, now that his brother is the leader of one of our political parties provincially here. And and so the, the question that we ask ourselves here is, did I give an implied consent for you to do this? Can I stop you? How do I do that? I, you know, if you were to ask me that, I wouldn't know where to start. I mean, call the, the you know, the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario and say, I want you to take my name off your lists. I don't know. Can you even do that these days? Do they even have the Fords list? <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's a very good question because uh, since he declared for his leadership intention, I can say I've been getting a lot of calls, robocalls from, from Doug Ford directly. Really? And I've actually had that discussion with myself and with my wife as to how do they get my number? And how do they, you know, when I would have never given that kind of consent to them. So 
how do they have it and, and why are they able to use it like that? So the result then becomes that you have to have a more informed, more aware uh, population, whether consumer population or, or electorate, uh, and you know, and being aware of um, what the issues are, uh, <laughs> and having a much better nose for fake news, because uh, they, there is still the dirty tricks that the department this, that this all falls into. But you, you know, you go back to um, uh, even things like Robert Stanfield, remember fumbling the football? <laughs> yeah. Sure. Uh, you know, so that resonated greatly with Canadians uh, inappropriately. I mean, it's an, it was an irrelevant. First of all, it wasn't even an accurate depiction of what was going on there. And second, and second it was completely irrelevant to, you know, this guy running for, for office, uh, conservative candidate for prime minister. Uh, but it had emotional resonance, just like, you know, Michael Dukakis. It had emotional resonance when he uh, wore a silly looking hat in a, in a, in a tank or one of the, you know, the most famous dirty commercials in the U.S. was uh, the revolving door of criminals coming out of prison. Uh, you know, emotional touch points that scare people. Um, also, all that's happening is, is they're being automated a bit. The, the, the process for finding what scares people has gotten much richer and more robust. I don't think that's a good way to, to do politics, but uh, um, the one-on-one -on -one connection to people is the way of the future. It's a way of the present. Well, and Jeff, it's, it, it's the way of the future, and, and I think history has taught us that uh, fear is very effective as a tool. Mm -hmm. uh, people react to fear. I mean, you have to look no further than the last American presidential election. Um, I think in Ontario, yep. you may see some of that here uh, on, on both counts. Uh, you know, the two main parties here will be pointing fingers and saying the leader of the other party are scary and uh, don't, don't be fooled by them, you know. And, and I, I, we're all left to wonder, um, you know, who's telling the truth? What is truth in the first place? Yeah. You know, all of these big questions. Uh, and meanwhile, you're being bombarded with um, very personalized messaging that speaks to um, your fears, your aspirations, your hopes, all of those raw emotions, the really raw emotions, not logic. Logic is not raw. Logic is yeah. thinking, right? And a lot of us, well, we don't want to think because if, if we did, we'd be watching science shows on TV rather than the Kardashians. <laughs> right. <laughs> but when you think about, you know, the, the campaigns of the, you know, the powerful campaigns of the past and the campaign slogans, because it used to be, you know, give, give me a six-word or less slogan that's going to capture the imagination of the voters. So it's, you know, it is the fear. It's the, uh, are you going to vote for the tax-and-spend liberals? Are you going to vote for the, uh, you know, no-borders whatever yeah so <laughs> appeal to people's fears through uh through a very short powerful emotional message um one of the things that uh, one of the uh, cambridge analytica executives said uh, on tape quote on tape that, that, that i thought was very true is people don't vote on facts they never voted on facts they vote on emotion and so, you know, you've heard over the last few years a lot of talk about storytelling and developing the narrative, which is really just about developing uh, the emotional scenarios that are going to attract people 
to vote for your candidate. Um, nothing's changed. It's just now that, you know, now it's scarier because um, arguably it's more invisible. Although, you know, most of the population, when they were being bombarded with ads about the scary tax and spend party, weren't really being aware that they were being manipulated. Uh, anyway, so, you know, are, does it make a difference? Are people ever aware, even when it's blatantly, grossly obvious, or when it's subtle behind the scenes uh, and very targeted? Well, so I think we can all agree that, yeah, okay, there will always be this kind of uh, of manipulation or persuasion, you know, if we can call it that. And uh, with technology today and data mining capabilities, that that persuasion will become even more targeted. So maybe the bigger story here is is the use of personal information. And how do we, as a society, freely give out our information? And then we're surprised when this information is used against us, I guess, collected without consent. Now, because it's become a little bit tougher in the last couple of years, but not maybe substantially tougher and until a new technology comes around that can kind of circumvent those rules as well, should we as a society now kind of expect that our data is going to be used in this way and that even though the agreement or the implicit social contract between tech companies and people who use them is that you will not sell my data or use my data against me or in a in a, in a nefarious fashion. Uh, is that out the window now? Well, to answer your question, I think uh, it, it is because uh, the technology has just gotten far too advanced for us to keep up with it, honestly. I mean, I, I remember, uh, you know, setting up a Facebook page essentially because, you know, I had a daughter who was going off to university and it was a great way to keep in touch and us to share, hey, look at what we're doing here, wish you were here, you know, and, and a lot of people use Facebook for that, right? Sure. It's a great tool. I mean, I, I know more about you guys uh, because I watch you on Facebook than when we actually gather because unfortunately we can't gather nearly enough, right? And yeah. I, I follow do the dog's adventures of, of Jeff and, and uh, the, 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 <laughs> the dog's adventures yes. of Jeff or the Jeff's adventures with the dog? <laughs> the dog's adventures with Jeff. Right. Okay, I, have you it. seen the size of this dog? Yeah. And, and I think uh, my dog has more Facebook followers than I do, by the way. Yeah, so right. Yeah. So, I mean, can't but, wait till they mine his data. <laughs> so, you know, but you're, you're putting data out there simply by telling people where you are, right, Jeff? You, t you tell people where you are and, you know, you like going to Florida for, you know, to get away from the b winter blues and suddenly you're getting cruise ships vacations tossed your way on Facebook, I'm sure, right? That's right. And uh, I mean, I first noticed this, uh, I don't know, four or five years ago when I switched to a Gmail account and I sent an email to a friend from my Gmail account saying, hey, I'm sitting here on my porch in Toronto. It's a beautiful summer evening. I've got a glass of red wine and a lovely Cuban cigar and uh, hope you and the family are doing well. And five minutes later uh, on my uh, Gmail page, ads for cigars and humidors. And, uh, and I learned that uh, Gmail reads all, it scans all email for keywords and uses that to target uh, individual users with, with advertisements. And I was kind of initially horrified, um, but I, I adjusted to that, uh, I guess, because my life is so boring that that's kind of the extent <laughs> to which 
they can they can come after me. Uh, maybe a thing that that worries me a little bit more uh, related to this is fake news and automated accounts and bots, which behind which there are no real human beings, but these are just uh, algorithms that are meant to exploit the data that's collected. Uh, I think that's a bit more insidious. We don't know what percentage, for example, in the U.S. election, in the, the 2016 election, of people that were amplifying uh, nasty thoughts uh, were not actually real people or were, were, were people with hidden identities. So to the point where, you know, you, we've got evidence that there were Russian agents that were arguing both sides of the campaign and organizing competing demonstrations with the sole purpose of just disrupting uh, the U.S. electoral system. Uh, that is more insidious than than whether someone knows I ordered a 50-pound bag of dog food uh, <laughs> online. But that is that is you know you get you get both sides of it when you when you have such an open social media system and that we're so willing to give out our own information. So so what does this mean for the future? What should we as citizens be aware of? Like should we should we leave Facebook? Should we leave all the you know the social media? We've talked about that several times on this podcast as well. Is that you know is there is it time for some regulation to step in? Yeah. Well, you're, you're asking the people who most abuse the technology, the political types, to regulate it. So, uh, you know, I, I may just be a little too cynical, <laughs> right? I mean, I don't think you can regulate social media. There's this, the social aspect of it is what makes it social media. Uh, you can regulate traditional media because they're corporate entities, essentially. But social media is supposed to empower the individual to say his or her piece. And... Um, and I, I get it that, that a lot of this, the bots that uh, Jeff talked about, those aren't real people. But that's the trade-off for giving people platforms that are outside of the traditional media that we're so used to, or letters to the editors, you know, that type of thing. Well, but couldn't we, couldn't we uh, require that every account be a verified account? And that... Uh... <laughs> You know, and that the, the the use of the information that's collected is regulated in a way that it's, you know, not allowed to go to third parties without consent, which, you know, apparently is supposed to exist, but clearly well, does not. But right? that's it, right? I mean, where's the enforcement? We already have some enforcements of it. And in terms of verification, like Twitter verification is one of those things that people want their little check mark, right? Do you know how difficult it is to get Twitter to respond to you when you're trying to verify your Twitter account? It's nearly impossible. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Some, but if they were white supremacists, that's one. Do. That is one area where I agree. I agree with the tool. That, it's not one. The only area where I agree with the tool. But it's an area <laughs> I agree with the tool that I think that that would be a big first step. Is that there has to be a real human being behind every social media account? Uh, you know, the question of consent and opt-in for your data to be used. Um, I think that's a reasonable approach, and you know, I think we all thought that's what we had. And obviously, it's not. So um, I think I think that was a violation of Facebook's rules. And I think when Mark Zuckerberg finally talks to us sometime, and later today, I'm told uh, that we're going to hear what, what Facebook is going to do to make sure that it, if you have opted out of sharing your data, then your data isn't shared. And I think that goes you know a long way to address the major concerns because really, ultimately, uh, aside from I mean, the fear is Big Brother is watching, right? Big Brother hears everything you say. 
Um, um, I guess I'm just that that doesn't I don't like that on, on principle, but uh, I don't see that the government is using this to control us. Now, you know, maybe that's a really naive statement because maybe in five years from now um, there'll be more sophisticated government programs that you will pay twice the amount of tax you owe because you love to type of. <laughs> that would be a great program. Maybe I should write that. I think some governments have tried that in the past. There was a volunteer tax payment to pay down the debt, I think, was one provincial government's idea in Ontario. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, that went well. That, yeah, that's right. That's right. So what are the alternatives? Do we have any alternatives? I mean, we talked about some policy alternatives. Now, I actually understand, and, and this isn't in reaction to what's happening at Facebook, but I understand there are companies out there that are now working very heavily on end-to-end -end encryption. So they're setting it up so that they cannot read your data, they cannot provide any information about you, and they've, they've essentially locked themselves out of, they've provided the service, and this is a, a messaging service that I'm thinking about, it's called Signal, but they can never access your data whatsoever. And I think other companies have been looking at that. And maybe that's another tech technological answer, which might provide some more reassurance to people that they are not being constantly watched and uh, being bombarded, not only by product information, but also by subtle messages to make me think in a particular way. I think, I think we have to start. It's, just, it's interesting because the, there, there are such nuances to this. I mean, there are times when you want companies that you do business with to know things about you. So, for example, if you go out and buy an intelligent refrigerator, which you can do uh, you know, for the last few years, um, it will monitor what's in your refrigerator. And if you're low on milk, it will ask you, do you want me to order milk? Or if you set up the, the permissions properly, it'll just go ahead and order the milk for you. Um, so, it goes again, it goes back to convenience versus expectation of privacy. Um, you know, if in in that case, I don't have an e fridge, an intelligent fridge, but one day maybe. Uh, you know, it's it's just what what are the trade offs we're willing to make as a society, and uh, can we make the protections work better than they than they obviously work now? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure there's a technological solution. If we're expecting the robots to save us, it's not going to happen. <laughs> the robots are going to take us over, not save us. Too many movies. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently. That's, I grew up on that stuff. But, um, you know, I think one of the things that you have to at least start is by uh, telling people they do have some power, right? Uh, the technology you described, the tool, that sounds really good. I have an email account from a Swiss-based company that that is encrypted. Yeah. And um, I use that for academic work because I don't want my academic work um, to be out there uh, mineable to, you know, the Donald Trumps of the world, frankly, and the people who are around Donald Trump. Because the people I work with, sometimes it, it's sensitive right. for, in terms of identification. Mm -hmm. You have to start right. by taking that kind of personal step. I know some people are getting off Facebook. Um, I don't blame them. I really don't. I don't think that's the answer, frankly, because you may be off Facebook, but you're putting all kinds of stuff to, on Snapchat or Instagram still. Sure. Right? Yeah. And so unless you get completely off the grid, like my daughter, for instance, has done, right? She's totally off social media. Right. Uh, and she's like, haha, nobody can find me. And I said, 
bruh, you have a passport? <laughs> right? I mean, it, you can't just simply, unless you want to move to West Virginia and hide in a cave, you're probably not going to get off the grid. So, you know, I really encourage people to be outraged, take steps that you can with your own life. And um, at least that's a start. And to your point about regulation, absolutely, we should insist on it. I'm not sure how doable or, frankly, the politicians want to go too far down that road because I think it profits them uh, in a lot of ways. Right. But I think you insist on it and, you know, you keep pushing. Well, and I, I worry about regulation because I don't know how you do it and I don't know how you enforce it. Uh, and that adds to the, you know, for those folks who have the big state fear, uh, that, that certainly feeds right into the big state fear. I think absolutely, if you're uncomfortable uh, having your data mined, then have fewer interactions in the public, in, in public space, and, and social media networks are a public space. Um, you know, critically, a level of personal responsibility, you know, whose mother or father told them, uh, don't believe everything you read, don't believe everything you see. I mean, that's never been more true today. Now, um, I, you know, maybe an interesting idea is, you know, maybe there should be a punishment if a campaign uh, puts out, knowingly puts out false information. I mean, certainly there's a, there is punishment if um, a company knowingly publishes a false advertisement. Um, they, you know, they get fined. They can get all, all, all sorts of problems. So um, teaching people, having people get accustomed to questioning what they're reading and seeing uh, and holding those people who we can hold accountable uh, for what they knowingly, intentionally put out there, which would partly be done by, again, requiring a person behind every social media account. So when, you, you know, when you're personally responsible, if I'm working as a marketing agent for XYZ Corporation and I put out a false or defamatory piece of information about a competitor, I'm personally then, you know, I'm personally responsible. Um, that should be an inhibitor to, to some of that kind of behavior. Agreed. So I think we've, we've kind of agreed upon, uh, well, maybe we need to look at some regulation, but there's also some personal responsibility required on, uh, by the users of the various social media sites. Great. Well, thank you very much. We've had a, a great discussion. And as always, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can uh, contact us through um, podcast at strategicsconsulting.ca. You can uh, reach us through Twitter. Our information is in the show notes. We encourage you to leave a comment on iTunes. We're on uh, Google Play and Stitcher. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next week, be well. And don't forget to follow Harley the Giant on Twitter and Instagram. There you go. <laughs> Done. Absolutely. All right. Until next week. Take care.